Good morning, church. I'm Joe Greenwood, and our scripture reading today is from Joshua 5, verses 2 through 12. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua, Joshua circumcised them. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness on the way after they had come out of Egypt. Though all the people who came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was with their children, whom he raised up in their place, that Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised, because they had not been circumcised on the way. When the circumcising of the whole nation had finished, they remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so that name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the people of Israel were camped, encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening of the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Thank you. God. You may be seated. Thanks, Joe. Uh, well, good morning, uh, church family. It's so good for us to be together. Um, for those of you who I don't know, my name is uh, Brian Carroll. I'm one of the other pastors here. Uh, you met Ryan earlier. Um, so, but we're really glad that y'all are, are here with us this morning. So, but uh, if you haven't already, go ahead and turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. Um, Joshua chapter 5. So we're going to do the best we can to co- cover the, the whole whole chapter. But um, as you are turning your pages or flipping your phone to, to Joshua 5, uh, call back on a moment in your life where you felt super embarrassed. You're like, why are you doing this? Um, call back to a moment where you just kind of felt some, some, some shame or some guilt or you may, something happened. You're like, man, you look back on it like, and you're just like, man, that was so cringy. Uh, why did I do that thing? Or why did I uh, do that? I, I remember for me uh, personally, as I think about one of those moments, um, I was in sixth grade. And, uh, you know, so sixth grade, Brian, bleached hair, uh, you know, baggy jeans. Because actually, no, it was, we didn't, we weren't allowed to wear jeans in school. So anyways, um, but, you know, I, I remember that whenever I was starting middle school, there was this, this girl I, I, I kind of started to have a crush on. Uh, my parents were, were, were good parents, loved my parents. Uh, and they gave, they gave me just the rule of thumb just at the beginning of the year. It was like, hey, Brian, um, you're in sixth grade. Uh, you barely know how to tie your shoes. We don't want you to date anybody. Uh, and so I'm like, okay, that's fine. I was a good kid. Um, but then I met this girl, and I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to listen to that. Uh, and anyway, so back in the day before text messaging, who remembers those days? Yes. Um, we, we, uh, we exchanged notes to each other. And we actually, we exchanged notes that this girl and I, we, had, we, we typically would put in one another's lockers. Who actually, students, who actually has lockers? Okay, uh, <laughs> so there's a few people who actually still have lockers. That's also another thing that's dated. Um, but we, we would, I remember we, uh, you know, we would put notes in each other's lockers and, and things like that. And so there was this one day where I, I got this note that I really liked. Uh, I don't really remember what it says, except for the fact that it was addressed as Dear Teddy Bear. 
Um, and so, yeah, so no, you do not have permission to call me that from, that from here on out. Um, but anyways, I, I remember, so I, I kept it, I hung on to it, and uh, I put it in my room in a place where I thought that was safe for my parents seeing it. Um, but uh, my mom, as, as wonderful as a mom she was, she would often clean my room um, because I didn't apparently know how to do that myself. And uh, apparently she found this note. So rather than telling me and confronting me right, right, right out of the gate, uh, my parents just decided to actually like, probably uh, just have a little fun with me. So I remember the next day, um, I didn't know the note was gone at the time. Uh, my mom was taking me to school, and uh, my dad comes outside to my side of the car. Uh, the windows rolled down. He just leans over and just says, have a good day, teddy bear. <laughs> Cringy. Crushing. My, my day was clouded with so much shame and guilt because I knew what was coming, coming to me whenever I got home. Uh, I knew that I was going to get the lecture. I knew that I was going to, the whole gambit. Uh, so uh, that was a cringy, shameful moment for me as I, as I look back. And I, I got, and mainly the shame came because I got caught. Uh, that, that was the big thing. But, but a lot of us, as we think about shame, as we think about uh, guilt, the things that, you know, Something I think something that we kind of interact with uh, maybe on a daily basis. Um, shame is one of those things that has the potential uh, to make us feel unworthy, to make us feel something and, to, and think something that, that the God never really intended for us uh, to feel. Um, as you think about back on the moments that you, you feel shame about, I mean, some of you may have a silly story like I did, but some of you may not. Some of you, there, there might be something you still are feeling like you're carrying, some kind of burden uh, from years ago that, that um, or some kind of struggle or some kind of sin that you feel like has just like been years uh, of you walking in and just not being able to, to overcome. Or, or some of you are just, you feel, uh, uh, when you think about just the guilt and shame that comes from our own brokenness, uh, you may apply that in such a way where you think that I can't go to God. I'm not worthy. I'm not valuable. I, I, I personally, I can't go to a perfect and holy God with my brokenness and shame. And so shame is this thing that I think can easily cause so much unbelief of the promises of God. And it has so much potential to actually uh, cloud who God truly is. Shame, as natural as I think for a lot of us, it, for, for us to feel, um, is not the way of Jesus. Shame is not the way of Jesus. Being captive by our sin and by our past um, is not the way of Jesus. And so what we're going to see in Joshua 5 today is that, that God is a God who removes shame. And really, we're going to be looking throughout different parts of the whole of Scriptures. And you look at the, really, you look at the whole counsel of God's Word, we see a consistent aspect of God's character is that God is a God because he's a merciful and gracious God, is a God who removes shame. And so Joshua 5 is going to hopefully show us the depths of his mercy towards us and that he is in truly a God that removes shame. And so where we are in the story of Joshua, Joshua 5 is actually a bit of a transition chapter. So in chapters 1 through 4, um, you know, we see that um, they're about to, this new generation of Israelites are about to enter into the promised land. Uh, God gives Joshua um, this encouragement that he's going to be with him and that he's to not depart his mouth uh, or to depart his ways from God's ways. And so he was to meditate on God's word day and night. And so we see that in Joshua's 1 through 4, he's commissioning Joshua to lead this people. He's to be uh, Moses' replacement. We see as, as also that, that he sent out um, these spies uh, to go scout out the land. And while the spies are sent out, they meet Rahab, 
who was a, a prostitute in the land of, in, in the city of Jericho, but she believes and is repentant. We see that she actually, she's seen all that God has done, and she's repentant. And so the, she, the, the spies make a promise to her that, hey, we'll spare you as long as you don't tell this business of ours. And then we see, as we talked about the last couple of weeks, that the Israel's crossing of Jordan, the miracle that God did in, in delivering this people, uh, drying up the Jordan so that they could cross into the promised land and that they were to be uh, setting up some stones and things that they would remember God's faithfulness there. And so, so that's kind of what's happened so far in a nutshell. And then next week, Ryan's going to be talking about uh, as they enter into the Battle of Jericho in chapter 6. But when we get to chapter 5, like I said, chapter 5 is this transition chapter because really what God is doing, he's helping get their hearts set right as they are entering into this land that he has promised them from, uh, uh, from uh, decades ago. And so really quick, let's go ahead and, and reread verses 2 through 7, and then we're going to kind of tease out some things uh, that God is doing here. And so he says, uh, Joshua says, this, at the time that the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. So Joshua made flint, and li- flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel uh, at Gibeath Haraloth. And this is the reason why Joshua circumcised them. This is important. All the males of the people who came out of Egypt, all the men of war had died in the wilderness on the way after they come out of Egypt. Though all the people who had came out had been circumcised, yet all the people who were born on the way in the wilderness after they had come out of Egypt had not been circumcised. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give to us, a land flowing of milk and honey. So there, it was their children whom he raised up um, in their place that Joshua circumcised. And so what you see really in these verses is, is somewhat of a contrast uh, between uh, the, the generation that came out of Egypt, or the generation of Israelites that came out of Egypt, and the present generation. You see a bit of a, a contrast. And so one of the things that we have to remember is that Joshua stands on the shoulders of the Torah. Uh, meaning, so you think about the, the Torah is the first five books of the Bible. And so uh, what this means is that he's building off of what God has already done. And so as we look about what God has already done. And so you look back at the, at the first generation. So for 400 years, Israel, the Israelites were, a, were slaves in Egypt. God in his kindness, because they were his people, uh, he, he makes, this, makes this plan to deliver them. And he does so many miracles. He does, uh, he does so many things uh, to deliver this people, to pull them out of Egypt. And so we see that, they're, that after the plagues, after the crossing of the Red Sea, uh, the Israelites are, are at a place called Mount Sinai. And it was at this place that God was going to be giving his law. He was going to be giving, hey, as you enter into this promised land, these are the ways in which you shall, shall walk in. And, and what's really interesting, so they're, so they're at this place, they're at, they're at this, this mountain, um, and, and, and the Lord, and God gives them these things. And, and what the people say in Exodus 24, 3, is that all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So God's made this covenant with this this generation, and then they confirm it by saying, hey, all these things we will do. We will do. So Moses at that point goes back up to the mountain for 40 days to receive more instruction from the Lord. The people there get antsy. 
They're like, where is Moses? We don't know if he's still here. And then we see in Exodus 32 that, that people, because they're like, well, we don't know what happened to Moses. Uh, we don't know what's going on. So let's make our own God. And so they build this golden calf, this false God. They, they even get Moses' brother, Aaron, to build this calf for them. And so we see that it's only like this, this people who God has done so many things for, then they even confirm with their own mouths that, hey, we will do all the things that you, we said, that, that you say we'll do for us to do. Yet their hearts was bent on their own ways. Their heart was bent towards idolatry. We see this in Exodus 32. Uh, at this, 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 this building the golden calf ultimately showed a distrust in God that God wasn't for them. And really, this comes to a culmination. This comes to a head in Numbers 14, um, when similar to what we just read, uh, or, or we talked about a few weeks ago in Joshua, uh, when, when he sends out the spies, they also sent the spies at, at the beginning. And 10 of the 12 spies come back and say, hey, those people there, we're not going to be able to take them. Uh, the land's not that great. Uh, we can't take these people. So Moses, why did you even bring us out of Egypt in the first place? And so what happens in this moment is God gets very angry with this generation because time and time again, they've, he's done something for them. He's delivered them. He's helped them. He's provided for them. And yet time and time again, they show a distrust of God. And ultimately what comes to a head in Numbers 14, he says, this generation will not enter the promised land. And even in, the, in, numbers, in numbers, they try to scramble that generation and then a bunch of people get wiped out. God's like, no, this isn't gonna happen. And so that first generation uh, was to pass and, we, and they were to ultimately to be, it was, was going to be their kids that were going to be entering the promised land. And so, so, so the question we have to ask here is, is, is it, as we get to Joshua 5, what does this all have to do with, with circumcision? Why is this so important um, of what God is doing in this moment? Well, well circumcision was a sign of, the, of God's covenant uh, with Israel. It was a sign that he was to be their God and they were to be his people. It was this physical reminder that they were a people who had a God, and that their God, and that God, um, that God had sh- shown his favor on them as his people, not because they did anything, uh, but rather just because God is good and gracious. So it was meant to be a symbol of God's covenant with them. And so what we see in this moment, so the, so the kids, these are the kids that were born in the wilderness for 40 years when God said, you're not this, this first generation, you guys aren't entering the promised land. These are the kids that were in the, that were born, a lot of them were born in, that, in the wilderness, and they had not been circumcised. They had not, this thing had not been performed that was ultimately a sign that they belonged to God. And which, that in of itself showed the rebellious nature of that first generation, right? Um, this circumcision was something that's rooted back in Genesis. Something that they would know that was a part of what they did, and yet we see that they didn't do it. And so this just speaks to the, the rebellion of that first generation, of their distrust of God. So, so what's happening in this moment, when, when, Josh, when God gives this command to Joshua to, 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 to do, the, to do this, this circumcision, um, he, he is essentially reminding them that God was still faithful to his promise. And essentially, he's reminding them that, that as they were entering into this promised land, they were not spiritual orphans, but rather God was simply renewing what he had already started. And so you, you think about the, 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 the people who, the, this, this second generation um, that was to enter into the promised land, um, they may have had questions because, like, they saw the, the, this, the, their parents' rebellion. Um, they saw that God wasn't going to um, man, let them cross. 
and you may have won, they may have wondered. Like there was still some uh, of just that reproach, so some of that just like shame that, that, that they carried with that generate from that generation, from their parents' generation. And it might have been, hey, are we cut off? Are we still part of God's promises? Is this still for us? But yet what we see here is that God is affirming, confirming in these people that, hey, I am still leading this thing and you are still my people. You will not be spiritual orphans. And when we get to verse 9, this, 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 this verse 9 is this, this beautiful uh, culmination of what just happened. And, and, and God, the Lord says um, in verse 9, he says, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And so the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. And that's what Gilgal means, is to roll away. God had rolled away the reproach of Egypt from them. So whatever shame, whatever bondage, whatever guilt that these people had carried over from the first generation until the present moment, the Lord, because of this act of circumcision, because of this reminder that they belong to, to God, he's like, we're done. Whatever, it's gone. You're, it's not over you anymore. It's not clouding over you anymore. And so God removes this shame, this reproach. That's what that word reproach means. It's like a, a scorn. It means a taunt. It's, it's this shame that, 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 that was there, that was present. And God says, it's no more. We're removing it. It's gone. It's done. And they were to ultimately enter into the promised land um, as a people who had a God. And God confirmed that with them. And, and, and when he removes this guilt and shame, what he's essentially saying, he's reminding them, is like, what I require of you is obedience rooted in faith. And, and, and these, these things have no hold over you anymore. This, 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 this reproach of Egypt, this reproach of the, the first generation that left, uh, they, they no longer have any uh, hold on you anymore. And we see the mercy of God in this. We see the mercy of God. And one of the things that's so important for us to know, as we, as we see how God is a merciful God, as he's removing the reproach of Israel, we have to understand that, that this is something the Lord still does today. God is still in the business of removing the guilt and shame of sin that, that we carry. He is still in the business of removing that uh, from us. And so, especially it being Pentecost Sunday, one of the things that is so important for us to think about is how, what is the role of the Spirit in, in helping us uh, walk in, a, in, in life, uh, not feeling clouded by our sin and shame? What is that even? What is his role? So you think about John's gospel. In, in, in John uh, 16, 9, um, he says that the Holy Spirit, his role is to convict the world of sin and righteousness. John's gospel is meant to convict the world of sin and righteousness. And so one of the things that we have to understand is that conviction and shame are not the same things, right? Conviction and shame are not the same things. It's, it's, conviction is actually a good grace from God and him showing us areas of our sin, showing us where our brokenness is. It's, it's just like when you want somebody to tell you, if you're running right off a cliff, wouldn't you, want, and wouldn't you want somebody to tell you that you're running off a cliff if you didn't know it, right? Like, it, it is a good thing from God when he shows us the sin in our hearts because sin ultimately is a dangerous thing that causes us to actually uh, move away from God. And so when, when the Holy Spirit shows us our sin and convicts us of our sin, it's actually meant to be, an, like we talked about this when we went through Mark, 
Conviction is actually an invitation for us to go to God with our brokenness. Conviction is, and, and repentance is an invitation to go to God with our brokenness. So conviction is a good thing. Conviction is meant to be a, a positive thing for the believer as another reason uh, for us to lean into God's grace and forgiveness for us because we need this on a daily basis. Shame, however, is something that is not meant to be the case. Shame is something that typically lingers. Shame is, is, is something that, um, uh, that, that, we, we, it's, it's, that we begin to, to see ourselves in a way that is unworthy. Man, I know I messed up. I know I did this, thing, this bad thing. And what shame does is like, because of this thing that I did, I can't go to God. I'm not worthy. I, I can't possibly, you know, if, he, if God really knew what she does, uh, like, like loved me, or if, if I really felt like I could um, um, earn my way back to God because of, 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 of what I did, like, then I couldn't because my shame is just so cloudy. And so like, what shame does is that shame causes us um, to think that God sees us the way we see ourselves after we mess up, and that's just unworthy and, 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 and broken and just like separated. And so, so stop for a moment right now and think, what is something you are feeling shame about right now? Think on that, sit on that for a second. What is something that you are feeling shame about right now? Um, what is something that you haven't brought to the Lord in confession? Um, is there something right now that you feel like you're hiding? Because you feel like if somebody knew, or if God knew, or if I, if I you know, exposed this thing, then I have no idea what's going to happen to me. I have no idea what's, what's going to happen. And so here's the thing about what shame does. When, we, when shame perpetuates shame, um, is that we typically leads us to hide from our sin. And when we hide from our sin, we aren't going to God. And we are less likely to be honest with him. Because when we don't, when we, because we won't admit just how broken we are, because um, uh, we don't want to admit how broken we are, and because when we do admit how broken we are, we see the ripple effects of our sin, and we don't want to go there. And, and so, so shame builds upon itself. And these things continue to cloud our way in how we see, or how we think God sees us. And so when we know we've blown it, we know we've sinned, um, shame, what shame will do with our sin uh, is, is push us away from God and think we're not worthy. And ultimately, what that is doing, what, is that, what that's training our minds to do, what that's telling our minds to do is that ultimately that I still have to do something to earn my way back to God. When shame perpetuates shame, when we feel like we can't be honest, when we feel like, when we really feel like our behavior, our good works, our, or whatever, something of those nature, is what gets us back close to God, then ultimately we're looking at ourselves as the arbiter of, of our own worth. We're looking at ourselves, we're looking to see how well we're doing uh, and basing God's uh, um, opinion of us on that. And that's looking to ourselves. And so shame pushes us away from God. Shame doesn't actually, uh, actually move us closer to him. But the spirit of God, like I said, the spirit of God, he will convict us of our sin but he will never lead us towards walking in shame. And I think, go ahead and turn to 1 John uh, chapter 3. I want us to see this. Uh, 1 John chapter 3. So, so the Spirit of God will not convict us of his sin, but he won't lead us to walking in shame. And John is actually going to help us really see what will the Spirit of God do when we are in moments of, of sin and weakness. And wh why is it that we can actually be free to confess everything? 
Why is it that we can be free to confess even the things we don't want to? I think what's, what John is going to help us see here is that, that really uh, the, the gospel has to be at the root um, of, of everything that we think and do, including in how we view our sins. So let's look at 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21. John says this, he says that by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure, reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. What is John saying here? What's he getting at? He's saying, if you feel condemned by your sin, I'm not saying conviction, but if you feel like, I, be, I, shame from sin. If you feel like, hey, I messed up, and because I messed up, I've got to earn my way back to God. If you feel that, if you feel like you can't go to God, if you are in Christ, if you are a believer and you feel that, what John is essentially saying here is, hey, if your heart condemns us, if our flesh condemns us, God is greater than your heart. God is bigger than your heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Meaning, guess what? Even in our sin, we don't have to linger in it, but rather we can confess it. And if there's any part of us that's saying that we can't confess that thing, or we feel condemned because we did that thing, that is a lie. That is a lie. And what's even cool is John, he, he, just to, to, to really just hone in on this point, um, he, look in verse, uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 2 through 4. He just like nails, nails this, this point even more and shows us how the Spirit of God operates in, in, in this idea that he, that, that he won't push us towards shame. So he says in verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Catch this. Every, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Shame will always push us in a position to where we are constantly measuring ourselves. We are constantly looking at ourselves and looking at our own actions. And as we view our actions, we're, shame will cause us to grade them and see Am I worthy to go before God or am I not? Do I have to try to earn my way back before God or, do, or, do I have, or am I not worthy to do that just yet? And, and here's the thing. Um, shame will cause us to feel unloved, unworthy, and feel like we have no dignity. It'll make, they'll, it'll make us feel like we can't go to God because of it. And ultimately, shame causes a disbelief in the gospel. Why? Because if we are acting as the arbiters of, of how God sees us, then ultimately we are trusting in ourselves and not God. And, and what did John say? What did, what did John say about any spirit that does not confess Jesus? He calls it the Antichrist. And it's not talking about like the Antichrist as we might know, but he's talking about any, any spirit that doesn't point us back to the finished work of Jesus is ultimately a spirit that isn't true. And so if we are walking in, here's the reason why the Spirit will not push us towards shame, because what shame does, it causes us to look at ourselves. 
And when we are looking at ourselves and we are trusting in our own works and actions to see if we can be right before God, what that essentially is, is a spirit that is not from Jesus. But the spirit of God will always remind us that we can go back to Jesus. He will remind us that, that grace and forgiveness is, is provided in him. And so we don't have to trust in ourselves. We don't have to uh, see if we're doing well enough. We don't have to try to earn our way back to God because we can't. The Spirit of God will always point us back to Jesus. And this is why conviction is a beautiful thing. Because what conviction should do is cause us to rely on the grace of Jesus. And when we rely on the grace of Jesus, it's actually in that we find healing. We actually find wholeness because we find ourselves trusting in the one who's actually able to give us something. Because in, in the other case, we're trusting in ourselves. And we, and we can't. We, we, can't continue, we can't get rid of the shame ourselves. We just can't. The Spirit of God will always remind us of the grace of God. The Spirit of God will always point us back to the finished work of Jesus. He will never cause us to walk in shame. He will convict. He will show us our sin. He will, he will highlight it, but only because he loves us. Right? Only because he sees the danger of the sin. He sees the danger of, of what this thing can lead to. And, and, and here's what this means. Here's what this means. That, that thing that you, I asked earlier, that thing that you may be feeling shame about, that thing you might be feeling guilty about, that, that thing that you even feel like you might have to hide and have to kind of self-protect, you are free to confess that thing. Why? Because if you are in Christ, you are still chosen, holy, and beloved. You still belong to him. And so you are free to confess anything. You are free to bring it out to the open. Is that scary? Yeah, it's scary. We don't, we don't, we don't like you know, people knowing our real selves. But it's actually in doing so we find the freedom because ultimately we're relying more on Jesus and we do that. We're relying more on the finished work of, of Jesus to do that. And, and, and I love this. You, you look back in the first part of, of John's letter in 1 John. It's a verse that we talk about a lot. Um, he says that if, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And that last part is, and he's faithful to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The word cleanse is mean, it's, it's similar even to that word reproach we talked about earlier. He's removing it. Any unrighteousness, any innocent, he's, he's dealing with it. It's done. It's dealt with. He, he's removing it. And so, because we, what we see here is that God is a God who removes the reproach of sin from us. He is a God who can easily deal with our sin. And so, and when we believe the gospel, when we believe that God actually cleanses us from our sin, that he is the one who does it, we see when we look at shame, we realize, I don't have to walk in this thing. I, I, and I'm not saying that we don't feel like remorse for our sin. And I'm not saying, but what the, what we, how we have to interact with our sin is that we know that Jesus has dealt with it. And because he's dealt with it, we don't have to be condemned by it. He doesn't hold our past sins against us. And so because of that, we don't have to hold our past sins against us either. We don't have to, to walk in shame. And so um, the Spirit of God will always point us back to the finished work of Jesus. And so if there's anything in your heart that's telling you, nah, but really not for you though. If there's any part of your heart as I share this that, that like, I know like God's grace is grace and he's, he's a forgiving God, but eh, not for that thing. I've got to kind of earn my way back for that. Or I've kind of got to clean myself up to get ready for God for that. That's a lie. 
That's simply not true. God rolls away the reproach of sin because of the finished work of Jesus. Just like he rolled away the reproach of, uh, of, of, this, of Egypt, of, of sin from that second generation, God will not withhold his grace when we ask for it. And what I love about this, 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 this scene in Joshua 5, going back to Joshua 5, so God says this beautiful statement that he rolls away the reproach of Egypt. And what do the people respond? What is the next thing that they do? Look in verses 10 through 12. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, so they're at the same place, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So, so God, so they, 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 they circumcised this whole generation, this, 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 remind, this physical reminder that they were a people who had a God. They, they, they're, they're entering into this promised land, reminding that they're not spiritual orphans. They have a God. And then they immediately, almost immediately afterwards, they get to celebrate the Passover, which was this reminder of God's deliverance. Uh, Ryan talked about, talked about it earlier, but what Passover was, it was this whenever the first generation was about to exit Egypt. It was the part of the final plague. God was going to kill the firstborn of everyone in that land. But if if the Israelites, if they would slaughter a lamb who was a year old without blemish, perfect. And then they would, they would get some hyssop and they, they'd paint its blood over their doorpost. The Lord would pass over them because of the sacrifice of the lamb. So they're reminded that they're a people. They're reminded they're not spiritual orphans. And they get to celebrate this thing that is a reminder of their deliverance. They get to celebrate this thing that they, as a reminder that there was a lamb who paid the price for their, uh, for their sin. A lamb in its place. Does that sound familiar? So as we wind our time down, as we celebrate uh, communion, and Ben, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Communion um, is our way of celebrating that God um, has removed the shame from us, that God has delivered us fully from our sin. God has delivered us fully uh, from, the, from the penalty of sin, which is death. God has fully removed this uh, sin from us, not because we've done something to earn it, not because we've clawed our way, because we are a really good person, because I didn't cuss, because I didn't do all these things. God has removed the reproach of our sin, the shame and guilt of our sin, because of the finished work of Christ. And so when we take communion, communion is this reminder that it is finished. Communion is this reminder that you do not have to walk in shame anymore. Communion is this reminder that you have been given the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit will always, always point you back to Jesus. He will never cause you to walk in a disposition of shame. He will convict because he loves us, but he will not cause you to rest in your shame. He will cause you to rest in Jesus. And so when we take communion this morning, when we um, drink of the juice as a reminder of Christ's blood spilled on the cross, this perfect lamb, 
And when we eat the bread and, and, and think about his broken body, when we are partaking of communion, we get to, to, to have this physical reminder, this celebration that God has fully dealt with our sin. And the freedom that that puts us on is incredible. You are free to confess any sin because ultimately that sin does not change your position before God if you are in Christ. It is a communion is this reminder that God has given us his spirit and that his spirit will always point us back to Jesus. So find your rest in him. So this, this, this morning as we, as we take communion, um, I want us to think about for a moment, what is the thing that you are feeling shame about? Have you actually bring that, brought that thing to Jesus? Have you trusted in the finished work of Jesus? Do you, do you feel that his sacrifice was enough to deal with that, that sin? Or do you feel like you still have to walk in shame and some kind of penance that I've got to earn my way back to God? If that's true, that's not the spirit of God. And so I want us to take, take some moments and some time this morning as we take communion just to think and to, to rest in the finished work of Jesus. Um, that we don't have to walk around in this disposition of guilt anymore, but rather he's removed it. And so um, as we partake this morning, I want us to just be, be intentional about this time. Be intentional about um, where is it that you're trying to find rest in? Where is it that you are trusting? And, and ultimately, I want you just to trust in the fact that he has removed your sin if you are in Christ. It is dealt with. It has been paid for. It is done. It is finished. If you aren't a believer in here, um, I would ask that you would just refrain from taking communion. It is for the believer. But I would ask you to consider how might Jesus, um, what are you looking for to, 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 to find life in? What are you looking for to try to heal that guilt and shame that you may feel? And why not Jesus? Consider Jesus is what I would ask you to do during this time. And so, Lord, I thank you for your kindness and for your grace. Thank you that you have made us a people. Um, God, that you are leading us, that you are helping us. Um, God, I thank you that we don't have to walk in, in shame anymore, but, Lord, rather you have removed it from us. You are a God who removes shame, Lord. You've been doing that ever since the beginning. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us God, that you would expose areas of our heart where we're still trusting in ourselves. Um, and would you show us, Lord, what it might look like to rest in the, in the finished work of Jesus. And so, Lord, we give this time of worship to you, Lord. Would you work in our hearts during this time? Would you help us see where we need to confess? And Lord, would you just remind us of the goodness of who you are? And we praise in your son's name. Amen.